There is not a one-size-fits-all solution to leadership. Discover your inspiration to lead by hearing from those who are in the trenches each day, leading themselves and leading others. We will learn about their unique leadership style and identify the shared qualities between those who do it tremendously well. Welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Lead with Empower podcast. Appreciate you all joining us, checking in. Hope you are healthy, well, and getting excited. We have a holiday right around the corner. It's going to be a little bit of a different holiday or Thanksgiving than normal years, but most likely if you're following the the rules to a T. But uh, hopefully uh, everybody's safe and well and excited for the holiday and the upcoming winter festivities that we always have going on. Anyway, back on track. We are here with the Lead With Empower podcast. We are joined by a wonderful guest. I would say an old friend. I think we've done some work together. Yeah, over the years. for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. But, <laughs> but we are joined tonight by uh, Dr. Jan Jones, who is a professor at the University of New Haven in the hospitality and tourism management major department. Dr. Jones, Jan, how are we doing today? I'm good. I'm really excited to be here. I'm just uh, super excited to have a conversation and, and chat about what's going on in the world. Absolutely. No, I appreciate you you coming on. And this is a, you know, anybody in education, this is usually a generally a pretty busy time of year. You're getting ready to wrap things up. So appreciate you carving out a few minutes to join us and uh, um, excited to get going and hear about some of the great stuff you've been doing, uh, you know, since the start of the school year, which has been a unique school year to say the least. So, um, so Jan, to get right into it, tell us a little bit about your role at the University of New Haven um, and just give us a little bit of insight into you know, what this year has been like so far for you. Yeah, well, that's a big question. <laughs> I'm, I'm super excited to talk about it. Um, I'm excited that it's coming to an end in some ways, but certainly I've learned a lot. So I am the program coordinator for hospitality and tourism management. And, and what that means is I teach mostly our tourism, travel and tourism classes uh, in our program. And then I coordinate, though, all of our classes. So food and beverage classes, hotel classes, travel classes, you name it. I'm making sure they're on the schedule and running and that we have people to run them. Um, and then the other thing I do is I advise all the hospitality students. And uh, more recently, I've actually gotten and joined the, uh, gotten onto the entrepreneurship team in the College of Business. Uh, it's nice. a Pompeii College of Business. And uh, what I do is teach their intro to entrepreneurship class. And I have to say, it's just, it's one of my favorite things uh, to do right now. And lastly, just wanted to say that I teach and run our study abroad program in Prado, Italy. And so I get to take, it's really horrible. We go for a whole month to <laughs> Tuscany and we are literally on a campus right near Florence, about 20 minutes from Florence. And wow. uh, so I can't complain. I have a pretty awesome job. COVID has definitely uh, clipped my wings a little, but uh, that's, that's in a nutshell what I've been doing so far. That's great. And, and are you taking applications for chaperones? Uh, <laughs> you know, that's the number one question that I get asked. It's so funny. It's like every, I tell people like, what do you do for a job anyway? Even my kids, I don't think really understand why I'm jetting off to all these countries. 
but um, yeah, no, that's my number one question. And <laughs> they all seem to want to teach my wine or uh, beverage management classes. Sometimes yep. they're also popular. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. And I, I think uh, it, this was probably three or four, I don't know, years ago, maybe more. I was able to come in and, and do some team building with one of your classes. And afterwards yeah. it was, you know, the, the, the food and beverage is putting on lunch and hang out. Like, All right. Why not? Right. Yeah, I know. I, I, I guest speakers always used to say that to me. I'm like, did you plan this where like I come in and present and then I got a free meal made by students? I said, yes, I have planned these things. <laughs> it's, it's, it's called hospitality. Um, but yeah, no, uh, you know, super, we have really some awesome opportunities at our school. And, and you did ask me before about the challenges this semester and, and certainly because of the industry we're in it it has posed quite a few challenges but i'm pretty proud of what we've done this semester we have an incredible faculty and they've pushed through some insane requests from dr jones <laughs> <laughs> talk i guess before getting too specific to kind of the the because i do want to spend some time talking about the end of last school year and the start and and the the the, the buzzword, the buzz phrase, the change management, right? And all that stuff yeah. that everybody had to go through, but just to the industry, the, the tourism industry yeah. right now, obviously it's a big challenge. What are some of the, the major um, impacts that you're seeing on that industry because of COVID? Obviously there's the travel bans and everything, but uh, I guess, yeah, how, how is that? How are those challenges impacting the, the tourism field yeah. and what are some of the strategies I guess that people are trying to implement to overcome yeah. or, or try to overcome them so I mean uh wow so the, I've been asked this question so many times and and in different ways but um since all of this started and and it's been interesting to watch you know the sort of the psychology of it all and and how and and the impact of on, on individuals in the industry and then also the industry itself. But um, I would say the biggest hit, and, and I probably don't need to tell you this, is the event industry, mm -hmm. right? So um, I think people underestimate in some ways how much money is generated in communities by ha having and hosting some of these large events. Um, I'm talking sporting events, I'm talking conventions, meetings, business travel. Um, all of it took such a huge hit. And uh, unfortunately, I think we'll be the last to kind of get back on track. I think some of the smaller companies will do better because you can, you can adapt in those companies and do small individualized types of planning and programming. Yeah. And we've already seen that actually. And, and it's sort of an interesting thing where um, there are some industries that are really struggling, but there are other industries that are overwhelmed um, and have a little bit of over tourism in the sense that, you know, you couldn't even buy a mountain bike in the state of Connecticut one month into the warm weather, right? Yeah. Because people are so excited to get out. Um, and that put a huge burden on some of our natural uh, resources and parks because they um, were lower staff based on some, you know, some challenges with some of the staff that they might have had related to COVID. But then they had all these extra procedures and, you know, restrictions and trying to manage the amount of people in some of these areas is actually became kind of challenging and in, in other in the opposite direction. Yeah. So events for sure, um, I would say outdoor recreation has probably benefited the most as long as it's private uh, sort of, you know, individual types of sports uh, certainly did fine in, in the yeah. summer. Um, hotels. 
really struggling. Um, a lot of the big hotels that you are familiar with and, and, you know, have probably stayed at those hotels are struggling because they're not bringing in the big events that help run and, and maintain those hotels. Uh, and then that trickles into the community restaurants then don't do well because they're not bringing in, uh, those larger venues. So, um, super it, the, the challenge with COVID really was, and, and <laughs> I wish I could show you like this first slide that I show the first day of school and I, I bring it up and I say tourism is a system. When there's a piece of the system that's not working, it affects the whole system. And we've seen this in the past in a region, you know, like there might be a SARS outbreak, but it's, it's very contained. It's yep. in that one region. Well, this was just boom, nothing's working and it's all over the world. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it really just, it really shows how interconnected our businesses are and, and how much we rely on other outside businesses outside of hospitality and tourism. Um, I think that those are the, those are the kinds of industries no one's really talking about. Like somebody sharpens our knives every day in, in, in restaurants, right? There's a, there's a person who comes by that has a company that sharpens your knives yep. or, you know, there's, there's a laundry service. It's like the cleaning of linens and that. Yep. Yeah. Like those industries right now shut down because yep. they don't have any business. So, um, I, I know that we always bring up hotels, we always bring up restaurants and events, but there's so much uh, behind the scenes that's also impacted in, in terms of jobs. So yeah, I, I will say, cause I don't like to stay in the negative. Um, last week was probably the first glimmer of hope that I felt in a very long time. And, and, and I'm not being naive in saying that this first vaccine and everything's going to be perfect. And, you know, I'm sure there'll be challenges, yeah. but I have to say it was the first time in a long time that I felt, okay, I, there's hope here. You know, there's like hope. a little I, bit of light at the yeah, end of the tunnel. I yeah. needed it. I yeah. needed that little tiny bit of, <laughs> I needed that light. And, um, I think a lot of people did. Um, of course, you know, we still remains to be seen how yeah. everything will be in, implemented and how quickly that really impacts like global yeah. travel or things, but yeah, there's a glimmer yeah. of hope, Dan. We haven't we haven't quite gotten to like the floodlight at the end of the tunnel. It's like a little headlamp right now or a pen light, but hey, we'll take it. it it's, it's like uh, it's your iPhone flashlight. Yeah. <laughs> but it is that little that little sparkle is always I think and we've been beaten up by it. You know, it's been eight months yeah. and yeah. uh almost to the day. And yeah. uh, you know, just seeing a little bit of uh, of a glimmer, I think is uh you know, could be that thing that helps people get through that day or that class or that, that shift right. or whatever it might be. So I hope, I hope so. Trying to stay positive over here. All right. That's, that's a great answer, Jan. And it really, I think it paints a, a picture of the, the struggles that, you know, everybody thinks of, I would understandably. So the first people you think of facing challenges are the people that are on the front line and the health and the medical fields. Um, but then recognizing that, you know, there are other industries that, you know, maybe not impacted directly from a health standpoint, but that's definitely from, you know, a financial standpoint, which impacts the livelihood of people. And it's, it's crazy that you mentioned like mountain bikes, right? Um, sold out, <laughs> not, you know, good luck getting one in Connecticut. That, that's the other, the other thing I noticed, I, I like to call myself a golfer, but it's, it's more of a making a mess around the course and trying to survive and <laughs> it, without losing all the golf balls. But that's another industry that, I think thrived and we had no snow in Connecticut. So they were able to get going early and they're crushing it. And then other, 
other spots are like, oh, we can't do team building because nobody's in school. And so it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic for sure. And it's funny how I love what you said early on in your answer about the system. And if one part's not working, the, the impact that it could have everywhere else. So, yeah, um, no, it's so true. Now we're going to get into, so March of 20, not 2020, Oof. <laughs> you're going, everything's good. You're close to the end of the school year yeah. and all these positive feelings are going on. And then suddenly the rug is pulled out from underneath everybody's feet. Um, yeah. And at the college university level, at the high school and below level, everybody goes from that, that same thing, a small light at the end of the tunnel. We're almost to summertime where the fun begins and that's gone. Talk to us a little bit about the, the end of the 1920 school year. And obviously we know every, you know, is sent home, but talk a little bit about the leadership challenges that situation presented sure. and some of the tactics you and your, your department tried to implement to make it a, a little bit of a less, less challenging situation than it was for everybody. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you, I mean, my, the rug was just ripped out from underneath of me. And, and I actually have to share this real quick story that I actually, because I follow global news so much because of the, the tourism industry, um, I had gone into my class that morning uh, the morning that we were closed down and said to my students, I don't have any information. There hasn't been a, a formal email. I don't know anything that you don't know, but I just have this gut feeling that things are going to change. And, you know, if you, if, if you, you have to be prepared for the possibility that we may finish this semester online. Yeah. And students just were like, she's like, she's great. Well, that evening at six o'clock, the president sent an email, university is closed. We will be continuing online. And I had like five students emailed. They're like, you knew something. <laughs> you know, I knew you knew something. I said, I really didn't. I just had this strange, eerie feeling. And, and I never check my phone once I get in my car. And, you know, like once I'm, getting ready to leave. I was in the parking lot on campus and I thought, I don't know what possessed me before I left to go home on my commute. I checked my phone and it, and we had received that email. It was crazy. I just was like in shock. So uh, yeah, as you can imagine, we had quite a few lab classes. Yeah. Uh, we, we teach some mixology class. We teach a, a wine classes. We teach beer classes and we have food and cultural cuisine classes. And we really pride ourselves on actually doing tastings and having labs that are, they're very interactive. Yeah. And thankfully it was closer to the end of the semester. Um, so we were able to get in quite a few labs before we actually went off campus. However, there was a big chunk of what we were planning to do. And uh, I had never, I don't remember. I knew we could use Zoom. I, I knew it was available. Like I remember them sending it out like the year before. I'm like, why would I use that? I'm just gonna meet in person. Like, <laughs> what's this for? <laughs> what's this Zoom thing? Yeah. So that was pretty funny. So I, um, you know, very quickly because I'm the coordinator, I have to now sort of figure out for our faculty how are we gonna do this. And uh, the first thing we had to do is we actually had we did return quite a few of our fees to students because. Yep. There's really no, it's not like I could go and buy a bunch of wine and they pick it up before they went home. They're already home. And, you know, there's nothing we could really do. 
Um, so that was kind of unfortunate, uh, but it was the best that we could do in that situation. And then the faculty still, I mean, there's a lot of lecture that goes in into these classes. And so they were able to finish the lecture portion, uh, but most of them went online to Zoom. Yeah. Uh, I um, probably the biggest challenge for me is we had team projects and uh, the team projects in all of my classes. So, you know, just keeping students excited and engaged about those projects and not physically being able to gather to work on them, it, it, it posed quite a few challenges for them and for me. But um, I don't know, you probably have already figured out, like maybe you and I have similar personality that I'm kind of like, all right, this is what we're doing. All right, like, what do we let's, do now? Let's and, get after it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's just do this. So um, I remember the first Zoom class, I remember just thinking, oh God, I cannot continue. I can't do this the way I'm doing this. Like I can't just throw up a PowerPoint and, and talk through the PowerPoint because the, the problem with Zoom was when you have the PowerPoint up, it's really hard to engage with the students at yep. the same time that you're maximizing your screen. So that uh, first class I did that, right? I had the PowerPoint I'm talking and I, <laughs> when I went back and unshared, I was like, did I put you guys all to sleep? And it really did kind of feel like maybe I did. So <laughs> the next class, you know, I integrated things like polls. And so I'll ask them just random crazy questions sometimes, or, you know, I'll put them in team groups. And I figured out breakout rooms. I was so proud of myself yeah. <laughs> to figure out breakout rooms. So it was, you know, it was really challenging, but um, in a lot of ways, we just, we did what we had to do to get through the semester and tried to be mindful of the students and and where they were coming from. And, and it was certainly challenging. I'm sure if you called me then, I would have been like, damn, <laughs> this, is, this is insanity. Um, <laughs> but uh, we, we managed and there really wasn't a whole lot of the semester left. Yeah. Um, so we were lucky. Uh, so yeah, so 2019 was pretty challenging uh, in terms of our food and beverage. Like I said, we, we pretty much just returned some fees and then um, it, you know, and just focused on the lecture side and learning the technology and how to keep it interactive and do some virtual stuff. Yeah. How, how challenging was it and what kind of role did communication play in? I, you know, I, I have the pleasure of working with a lot of like faculty staff, whether it be at the, not, not so much at the college level because it's so spread out, but at the high school and lower level. Um, and I know in my conversations with a lot of teachers, there was as much go learning going on <laughs> for and if, maybe even more <laughs> for yeah. the adults that, than there was for the students. Talk a little, just um, talk a little bit about the role, like you as the coordinator, the leader of that department or one of the leaders of the department and how, how challenging it was to try to get everybody on the same page and, and the importance of, I, I think communication would, it would probably be the biggest, uh, yeah. the biggest key during that moment. Give us a little insight. Into yeah. That so, well, thanks for bringing that up because that definitely, <laughs> was, that definitely was a challenge. Although I, I do have to say, and I know I'm biased in this, in this case, but when you work with hospitality people, um, and I'm sure you've kind of come across this in the past, but you know, if you're an event planner or you work and run hotels or, you know, you run your own restaurants, which by the way, most of the faculty that teach with us, that, that is the experience that they have. They're, yeah. they're all practitioners. Um, I feel like there is this, um, inbred sense of resilience in us because for so many times you've thought you've created the perfect event and then you have a bridezilla or you have a you know mom who's just a pain or you know like so in our industry in general um 
we just have to deal with so many changes all the time. And I really have to say that the faculty that I, I worked with, um, and let me tell you that some of them had really never done a lot of, with PowerPoint or never yeah. done a lot with online anything. Uh, it was a real struggle for some of them, but, but they didn't complain. And, and that to me is like the best team you could have, <laughs> right? Yeah. It was like, I feel so lucky. And, and even going into this year, you know, we spent a lot of time obviously in training over the summer, but to try to make it easier for everyone. Yeah. But uh, I just was so impressed with these faculty. If they had questions, I tried. Now my schedule got a little busy sometimes because I'm trying to teach myself. I always feel like I'm one step ahead, you know? And then I'm like, oh, you need to put an assignment online? Yeah, no, I figured that out last week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you need to do an online midterm with multiple choice? Yeah, piece of cake, got it. Um, But but I really literally would be like one week ahead of where they might need help. So I really myself tried to learn as much as I could about the technology and I'm still learning um, and, and tried. One thing that I've realized in all of this is that there's a tendency to overwhelm people with new stuff. Um, What I said to my faculty was, listen, we have to get through this semester. (laughs) (laughs) So you really need to focus on at the end of the day, what do you want these students to walk away with? And what are the very basic things that you're comfortable doing in order to make that happen? So I think some people have a tendency to try to think like, I have to learn how to use every bell and whistle in Zoom and every bell and whistle in the online environment. And my advice has actually been the opposite. You know what? Just focus on a couple of things, do them well, and then learn a new thing and then do it well and then learn a new thing. And I think that's been for people, the biggest challenge is like, there are these amazing trainings that the university are putting on right now. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, yep, going to do that, going to do that. But right now, I'm extremely focused on what do I need to do to make these classes succeed and, and keep them moving forward. Love it. And the, yeah. there was su- there were such great points in there. One that I, I agree with you, the industry and, and doing like team building events and leadership, we're in a, we're event planners and, you know, deliver, we deliver events and you have everything dialed up and then the bus shows up late <laughs> And then right. the bus driver tells you they have to leave 45 minutes earlier than what's in the contract. And it's like, ah! and, but, <laughs> but you figure it out. You figure out a way to make it happen and make sure the, you know, in, in, in both of our cases that the customer gets the experience and they leave happy and satisfied. Um, but it is, I, I could probably count in 20 years of doing team building, I could probably count on one hand where everything happened exactly how it was planned. <laughs> it's so <laughs> true. All those other times it was, uh, it was, you know, dealing with, you know, being prepared for the unexpected, the imperfect and being ready to adapt and adjust to those situations. And it's a great skill. You know, I think all students right now are learning that by default. I think that's the course that everybody's taking right yeah. now. And it's a great skill to have because, you know, the more you're in those environments practicing that everything's flying around you, but I'm going to, I'm going to dial in on what I can control and, and do it well. And it's, yeah. it's a life skill that it, it, it crosses a lot of different lines. It, it's not yeah, limited it to one industry. It does. It really does. And then, you know, I was laughing as you were talking about like focus on the basics There's the old adage, like, keep it simple, stupid, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it really is like, let's, 
not be overwhelmed and do a bunch of things poorly or below average let's identify you know you know, really hone in on the goal mm-hmm. and focus on those one or two simple things that you and do them extremely well and build off of that and i love I, I love that you took that approach i'm sure the faculty were appreciative of that approach as well well i hope so and 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 you know i say these things but then you know at the end of the day i'll come out and i have high expectations to myself and you know it, it's not always easy and it, it's easy for us to say that and it's another thing to be living it but yeah super i was super really so fortunate i am very fortunate to work with the people and also my dean my dean is this level-headed like I could be in a panic mode and I can talk to either the chair of my department or my dean and for some reason they can take me from 100 down to nothing and (laughs) and it's just like it's as simple as taking you back to what's really important right now what can you manage the rest of it can wait you know and uh yeah so yeah good valuable and again this 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 type of stuff and these lessons don't apply to just pandemic time or if you're in this field or that field, the the idea of, of when chaos and is is surrounding you, kind of really bringing it back to the those those little things that are in your control that you can you can manage and do well and and build off of that and and also having a, a buddy or a partner or a, a dean or whoever it is who can be that person that takes you from a thousand to to 10 or whatever it might be is always critical to recognize that when yes hey overwhelmed need to have a conversation with that person yes yes it's good to have those people in your back pocket 100 100 so you had this craziness in the spring yep and here we are you you know we're almost three months into the the 2021 school year yeah how would you assess everything's going now this year now that you had your your preseason essentially in the spring how's it going now at at UNH so it's kind of interesting because it sort of was a flip-flop in a sense because our school went back to on-ground teaching right so we were mostly for the most part on ground um but what that what happened with that is it created different kinds of teaching so the biggest thing that happened was hybrid classes where you have half of the class on one day let's say it's a tuesday thursday um and then you meet on the Tuesday with half the class and then Thursday, half the class. And then the other half of your content has to go online. So that in itself poses a lot of challenges because not only are you trying to make sure that everyone's safe in the classroom and that you're abiding by all the, you know, everyone, ha- we, in our school, we have the co-verified app. So you come in and everyone has to be green and like, oh, I'm so thankful that another a student didn't walk in with red because I would have felt so terrible for them. Yeah. But there's a lot. So there was a whole mm-hmm. list of when you're on ground of new kind of things that you had to take in mind. Did everyone wipe down their stations? Have you wiped your own station down? Um, if there's students in quarantine, have you, have you created the Zoom link and are they online? And have you, do you have the computer set up to record Zoom in case they're sick? I mean, it really literally, I went from showing up to class, turning my PowerPoint on and engaging the students to about 10 things that I had to do Huge before checklist. I even started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I will, it, my mind was spinning in the beginning. And I have it easy because I have a two day 
a week class, uh, some of the classes are three hour or two and a half hour classes, and they either rotate week by week or they have half the class for the first half and half. And that oh, is goodness. even harder. Yeah. So that was hard. That was one big uh, piece of it. But then we switched online learning systems. <laughs> um, so I have to say, so I love technology. I'm a tech geek. I love learning like new ways to do new things in the classroom. I'm that annoying professor. <laughs> so uh, I personally was really excited to use, we switched to Canvas from Blackboard, okay. but I've been using Blackboard since before it was even called Blackboard. I think it was called like <laughs> WebCT or something. I don't even know. And so, you know, for someone like me, who's been using online learning systems for a long time, obviously I had to learn the new, the new way that university wanted us to do it. Cause they wanted us to get a little more organized with how we um, share our information to students. Yep. Um, and they didn't want it to be like, you walk into one, you go into one class and it's completely different and looks completely different than every other class. So that over the summer was what we focused on um, in training. And I will say that that was probably the biggest struggle for some of our faculty, their practitioners, they know their stuff in and out. Their lectures are bang on and amazing. Um, but learning Canvas was, I, I, and this is from them expressing this to me that they, they really found it challenging. And also there was a little bit of a shift too and like how they wanted us to present information. Um, and that just, that was challenging for people. Uh, so we had our, it was like, a, <laughs> like when you're in the, it's like, which is worse, like on ground or, you know, which, which part is harder? Um, and I would say the first couple of weeks of class, it was, it was rough because yeah. I'm trying to make sure that, you know, people are comfortable and their classes are launched and, and they're comfortable getting the content in there. Um, and so like, I got added to every single section in hospitality. And there's a lot of sections of, of classes. And it was pretty interesting because I'm getting like these notifications, like, and finally I was like, you guys, you could turn off your, like, you don't, I don't need to see everything. Like, <laughs> I, I trust that you're doing a good job. But um, yeah, so those, those were kind of like on ground had certain challenges. Um, the other thing is you're just really mindful of the stress students are having. Not yeah. everyone um, feels comfortable being around people right now, especially what we're going through. And so just trying to be mindful of that. Um, I am a hospitality person, so I like to move around the classroom. I like to talk and wave my arms and my hands. Um, and so it was really strange for me to be kind of stationed at the front because yep. Zoom. Yep. But we're going to get into this a little bit, I think, but I prepared. I actually feel like I, I learned sort of how to do it based on some stuff that I did with uh, exercise related Zoom stuff. But yeah, it was, it was a challenge. And um, oh, so one of the other things that we had to do with our food and beverage classes is you're not, if anyone's read the regulations for restaurants, they had to either be outside or 50% capacity. Yeah. And our university was, was smart. They, they really were very strict about what we could do uh, in terms of eating inside. And they just said, no, no eating inside. So we're like, oh, <laughs> okay. Now Please what? be a warm fall. <laughs> that, so that's so funny you said that because immediately we put our food and culture classes. We did something a little bit different. We still, because we um, were so lucky to be in New Haven and have so many amazing international restaurants. Yes. So what we did, we still ordered from those restaurants as long as they could provide 
individually packaged meals. Yeah. Um, and so what happened was, is you'd come in for the lecture and then you'd have to take your meal home to taste it. Um, but at least we could still provide it. And, you know, at least we're still working with these restaurants, which was, was really nice. And they, they need it probably. Yeah. They yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was really happy that we could still work with a lot of those. Uh, the other thing, so food and beverage classes. So the, the beverage classes, excuse me, you have to feed students yep. if you're going to give them alcohol. It's a regulation. It's something we do on campus. So um, we had sort of this challenge of, oh no, we, we can't feed them. <laughs> so now we can't serve them alcohol. So what do you do? So one of the things that we did was we physically, like you've seen restaurants around the summer, put out tents outside and so for the lab portion um, for the first part we had it outside of our kitchen so that they could go outside have the lab and then come back into the lecture room later in the semester we went to a pavilion that was a little bit more um covered yep. uh although funny that you brought up sunny and warm because at the end the last couple of weeks we've had to have a, a heating unit in yep. Yep. <laughs> um i think the worst day I've been told from the faculty was when facilities had to show up with blankets. <laughs> oh, like, that's, when you know, that's when you know classes are just, it needs to go inside now. So uh, we actually have come up with a new model for next semester because yep. there's, we're not planning on doing like ice tents and you know, whatever. So no. Yeah. Although so, like ice sculptor, uh, you see a lot of these high end, uh, like yeah. restaurant resorts where it's all in ice. So that could be a new, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's an ice hotel in Quebec. We'll just, we'll yeah. model it off of that. um, yeah, no, but actually I'm, I'm pretty excited about what we're doing where we actually, uh, have permission from administration to our students are going to pick, instead of going to the bookstore to pick up your package of you know, your new textbook, you're going to go to Amity and you're going to pick up your wine package or your beer package nice. and selected beers. And then you'll do tastings virtually. So I think that'll actually be kind of fun. There's a lot of schools that are doing something similar to this. And so we're going to test it out next time. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, what would you say based on the students that you inter interacted with during the springtime and then yeah. the students that you're interacting with now uh, during the fall semester, have, have, have you seen any noticeable changes in their behaviors and their responses to all of this stuff going on around them uh, when yeah. you look back at the spring versus now? Yeah. So I would say that in the spring, it was sort of like, well, this isn't great, but you know, we're either about to graduate or, you know, a lot of my students were either seniors or they're freshmen, honestly. Okay. And um, I felt like the seniors were kind of like, let's just, you know, it's, this isn't great. And they were really down about the fact that we couldn't do like big, our big celebrations at the end. Um, but it, like I said, it wasn't a long time. So at least they've had, they had had that like three and a half years where they really got to experience like college life. Yeah. Um, and so it was, I'm sure very disappointing, but uh, I really saw kind of more of just like, how, what do I need to do to get through, you know, yeah. to the end of this. First year students, I, I really felt, I did feel really bad for students just graduating or even just graduated the year before because, um, you know, because of our industry, right? Yeah. So just it shutting down, it's, it's actually really difficult to find jobs right now. And um, the intro class, what I keep reminding them is, 
this is the time to train. And let me tell you, when people can get out in this world, they are going to get out in this world. And that's the one thing people are realizing is they're missing their leisure, their recreation, their social lives. So um, our industry, I really believe is going to have a boom after all of this when it's safer. Um, And so in terms of the students, I, I feel this semester... I don't know um, if it's just because this has been going on for a long time. I really get concerned about students' health and well-being, mm-hmm. um, and and seeing. I guess just having a PhD in recreation and sport, you know, it makes you really take note of the environment that they're in. So when you're in quarantine, you're stuck in a dorm, like a dorm room, and and the school is doing everything they can to, mm-hmm. you know get them out and, and do different things, but it is, it's difficult. Yeah. It's difficult. And some students have gone home a couple times because their dorm has been quarantined or, you know, their roommate was quarantined or their team was quarantined. So um, these are all things that we have to do to stay safe. But on the other hand, it, it really poses a lot of challenges for students. And, and I really feel for them. Um, yeah. I did something I haven't done in the history of teaching today. Uh, I don't know if I should be admitting this because Someone will probably hear this and I'll be in big trouble now, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Go for it. Let it loose. Yeah, Let I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, no, but I actually canceled my exam. That was, we usually have an exam right before Thanksgiving break. And then we have a big final project. And I just said, listen, I think you just need to take some time for yourself. And I actually told him, I said, one condition though, you have to be able to tell me something positive you did or something that made you smile because I really... I really want students to know that, you know, your health comes first, right. In all of this and um, to be very mindful of the situations they're in and making sure that they're thinking about that. That's great. And it's, it's definitely something that's popping up all over the place. And anybody that you talk to the, the, the wellness, the social, emotional yeah. side of things that, you know, every, and I think everybody's going through it and you touched on it even just the idea that you can't move around the classroom and be that, you know, in, engaging kind of presence that you would normally be. And, um, you know, it seems like such a small thing, but when it's every day, when everything in your heart says, I want to go and interact with this one and that one and this area of the room and, and you can't out yeah. over the course of time, it's a grind. And I can imagine, I couldn't imagine being trapped in a dorm as a college student. Yeah. Um, thankful that it's a, now a home. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and we're seeing that all over the world, right? It's not just yeah. dorms. People who live in cities and apartments are getting out. That's yep. why the housing market is doing great. So yeah, um, yeah it's definitely been challenging for them. I'm feeling, um, I'm just feeling like they're a little down right now, a little bit more. I mean, this time of the year, everyone's stressed because you've got all kinds of final of projects and things. Yeah. But I do definitely feel different. And I, I sense it different than I have in any other year that I've ever taught. Um, worse so than last semester. Last yeah. semester was, I think we were all in shock. Um, I remember actually a couple, after a couple of my first Zoom classes, when I told you I had to shift gears and do something different, I actually remember turning the computer off and, and crying and yeah. just thinking like, this is not what, I did not sign up for this. This is <laughs> like, yeah. not my, what I want to do. And then, you know, I, felt sorry for myself for a minute and then I thought, okay, but how can I make this better? Um, and, uh, it's this semester, I think just people are worn out and, and what kind of sucks is that the numbers are going up right now. So even though there's a glimmer of hope, people are starting to get really scared again. Yeah. Still have to play it close to the, close to the vest from a safety standpoint. 
So great segue to our, our next uh, little segment right here. Before <laughs> I, we get into it, though, I didn't know yeah. this about you until you emailed me. <laughs> if you see Dr. Jan Jones anywhere in the street, don't mess with her. <laughs> All right. She is certifiable badass here. According to her resume, we got a black belt in karate, a red belt in Taekwondo. We uh, experienced training in Muay Thai boxing. Yeah. Right. And so into the wellness, into the health, she does it in a, apparently a a kick-ass way. So stay (laughs) on the good side. All right. But you've, you've, uh, started up some wellness initiatives yeah. right, during this challenging time when I think everybody can use a little bit of that. Um, talk to us. So we have the cage fitness, uh, yeah. um, you know, workshops that you're running. We have the laugh and work it out and the ring of carry virtual challenge. Tell everybody about these great initiatives and yeah. also make sure, and I'll include this in the show notes as well, great. but uh, you know, tell, tell people where they can find out more information. Cause I, I love uh, reading up on it. It's awesome. Oh, that's so great. So um, yeah. So basically what happened to me is I I've been training for some half marathons and, and I'm not one of those like when I say train, I mean like making sure that I can cross the finish line. I like, I could care less if I'm, you know, behind all the strollers and the, you know, whatever. I don't care. Although those women, by the way, are usually flying by me. um, So yeah. So I, I kind of started getting into running a couple of years ago. Uh, It really changed my life. I had some big things going on in my life and it was the one thing that didn't cost me any money that I could go out and do. So that's kind of, um, where recently I got into running the martial arts stuff. I did want to just say that, uh, when I came here to the United States, I did not know one single person. And, uh, I left my, I actually, even I had a a daughter who was three years old there. Um, when I first came, she didn't come with me and I got to a point and it was probably around now in the semester. And I went to my advisor and said, "I, I can't do this. This is like, I'm overwhelmed. I don't, I, it's too stressful. You know, I don't have my family here. I really don't know people other than the guys in my program, which by the way, it was like 11 sport management guys and me and (laughs) one trap, two traveling tours and people. So, um, he actually was a recreation professor and he said to me, he, it's like, I felt like he totally ignored me. And he said, what are you doing for recreation? And I said, did, did you not hear anything? I, I just basically told you that I don't physically have enough time in the day to do my projects. And, and I think I, like, I'm just so overwhelmed and you're asking me about recreation. He said, listen, if you're going to get a PhD in this field, you got to put your health first. You can't go out there and preach it and not practice it. He said, next time you come to my office, I want you to tell me what you're doing for recreation. He said, you'll be fine in the other stuff. See you later. That's how he was. That's just exactly how he tough love right there. He was a a scary guy. Let me tell you. So, um, I ended up, I used to drive by this place in Coventry and, and this is terrible, but I loved his signs. I just always thought it was so funny. And my favorite one was kickboxing makes couch potatoes, hot potatoes. (laughs) And I don't know why I just thought that was hysterical. And I thought that guy has a good sense of humor. I'm going to try that class. So I tried uh, kickboxing and he immediately came up afterwards. He's like, listen, you need to do Taekwondo. I was like, oh no, I, I'm, I can't do that. <laughs> like I was so, cause I was, I'm an extrovert, but there's certain things like that make me like, if I'm nervous to try something, I kind of need that push. Yeah. 
And he gave me that. He's like, listen, your kicks and punches are better than half the people in my class. You're you're trying a class. So I did. Well, hold yeah. on. For, further proof. If you see her in the street, don't mess with her. her <laughs> kicks and punches are better than half. All right. You know, I'm just making sure your students are are towing the line there, you know? <laughs> well, it was kind of funny, too, because in the beginning, I was just doing it for exercise. But then I made the mistake of going into a competition and I kept, I was winning. I kept winning. I was like the old lady who kept winning. It was so funny. And so here I am like going to these tournaments with young kids and I'm like, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyways. So that was all a whole story to tell you that I really got into martial arts. It changed my life. And, and for me, it was a way to build community. And I really feel like different sports do that for people. Yep. And um, I didn't really have a connection here. And that was the first kind of Real, and I'm still friends with some of those people today. In fact, my instructor is still online um, that's awesome. on Facebook. Yeah. So that's how I got into martial arts. And then um, when I moved back to Connecticut, I, I did do my black belt in karate. The challenge then was, though, that there was such a commitment. Um, if you're going to do karate, it really is like you're committed to a school and a community. Um, and so I uh, ended up... Uh, just started to do like exercise classes. So like yep. a kickboxing class and stuff. So, cause it wasn't, wasn't that, that, that bigger commitment anymore. It just didn't have time. I was a mom and job and yeah. you know, I just didn't feel like I had the time. So um, that's kind of when I got into kickboxing. I did Zumba, Zumba for a while. And uh, cause I love dancing too. It's something you don't know about <laughs> me. So uh Fast forward to kind of where we are now. Um, I've been, I had joined this karate studio, Valentin Karate, and um, it was, it just reminded me of that first Taekwondo studio that I had gone to. Um, it's just a very family environment. And I just, I just really fell in love with this, this karate club, like karate school. And I was just going to the kickboxing classes. And when COVID hit, uh, I was so impressed with this instructor. He literally took every class and he had four locations and put all of his classes online. Wow. And, and for a karate studio, that's not an easy thing to do, right. To keep these young kids engaged. Um, and he, at the time was also kind of, um, wanting to keep the kickboxing classes going, but uh, needed some instructors. So I just offered to I had taught kickboxing a couple summers ago for another studio and I was like, Hey, yeah, I'll, I'll go in and teach. He's like, okay, so you just set up the computer <laughs> and you run your class. But guys, the reason I did it was it meant that I had a gym. I had access to a gym by myself. How exciting was that? And I got to kick and punch when I was frustrated. I mean, what's, what's better than that? So that's, um, that's what I actually, it's called cage fitness, uh, Connecticut, but it's Valentin karate studio. And okay. it's, I teach out of their plants bill. Um, so cage fitness, by the way, is just, it's these bags that are portable bags that you can buy. And you, the nice thing about it is you can, uh, at their studio, they'll let you rent it and you can bring it home. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So it's kind of fun because kicking and punching in the air, not that much fun, Dan. <laughs> Got to make contact with something, right? Yeah, it's so good to punch that bag. Um, so yeah, so that that was something really good. And that, you know, rewind to earlier, I was saying, it kind of gave me, um, it kind of forced me to learn how to use Zoom and interact with people, but then also have yourself in the frame. And, and so I actually felt, 
you know, kind of lucky to, to do that. And I, I've been doing that since they went online and they're back in the studio now. And so I am actually physically back in the studio with nice. people on Tuesdays. Yeah. So every uh, Tuesday. Doing the, the, are you still doing the virtual for as well for the people that yes. maybe aren't ready to go back to the studio setting? Absolutely. That's great. Um, I think we're, we're just going to probably keep doing that until yeah. things, people are comfortable. And, and to be quite honest, um, the classes are, you're, you're starting to see that people are more comfortable online again right now because it's yeah. obviously what's going on. So, uh, yeah, we, we have a Zoom link um, and then you just zoom in and love it. Have me yell at you. My daughter has, I'll actually maybe send you one of these photos, but it's hysterical. I'm like up in the end, I'm like screaming at the, I said, really? <laughs> That's the best photo you could find of me, but so that Action was, shot. Yeah. So that's kickboxing. And I won't spend too much time on the others, but I, I really very quickly um I noticed some of my friends getting really down. And we have a core, I have a core group of friends that, you know, we talk about running and things like that. But I was seeing some friends uh, really struggle. And I felt like when I was going through the feed and Facebook, it was just all negative about COVID. And it's just like I could I didn't want to see the word COVID, to be honest. Yeah. And so I created a, a group and the only rule is we don't mention the word COVID. <laughs> um, and it really is a very simple concept. And that is, it's called laugh and work it out. It is a private group, but um, I have, you know, friends and colleagues from all over the world in this group. So I'm happy to add people in that are interested in, and just having a, like a light uh, entertaining group mostly I just make fun of myself and things that I do but um but you know we call it laugh and work it out because uh sometimes I'll just post crazy memes about exercise usually like a dog falling off a treadmill or you know just something to make you smile today um and then the other thing is um I was posting workouts and stuff when I got really busy with work again I I cut back a little bit and I actually thought about well maybe people don't need this group anymore maybe they don't really want it and I've had some friends reach out and just say I've lost 140 pounds like you just wow. have really encouraged me and you know um she's like I just need you to know that I don't post anything but I I look at every single time you post and wow. it really cheers me up so yeah I really I was I actually think I was in the grocery store and was reading that and I started crying I was like oh my gosh <laughs> um so yeah so these are like it's so nice it's so funny because I don't do things. I do things when I'm passionate about it. And I, and uh, one of my big, biggest weaknesses in terms of leadership is I, I never charge for anything I do because I just do things because I want to do them. I kind of see it as like, I have a job. Yeah. I'm happy with my job. So anything that I can do above and beyond that, I, I don't, you know, I don't really ask for a lot. And um, it's so it's really nice when you get some good feedback. It's awesome. And then, and that's yeah, go so ahead. Cool. No, no, no. I, I was going to say, I, I, I don't think the need for that group will ever go away mm. because between COVID and then all the political stuff, and that's going to happen again at some point. Yeah. It, you know, the, the, a spot for somebody to just to go and get a glimpse of positivity or a smile or a laugh. Yeah. There's always going to be a need for that. Oh, uh, I hope so. It's funny. Cause I did, <laughs> I was thinking like, Oh, what am I doing? Like, and um, I did, I got some really nice feedback and yeah. I definitely plan to keep it. And, and, and other people in the group post too, which is yep. great. Like I have one friend, she, she will tell you straight up. She's like, I, 
I'm just here to laugh. I'm not here to exercise. And she's so like, she's so funny. Um, but yeah, no, we have a really nice group and, and obviously like, I just want people to feel comfortable in there and, and, and yeah, find simple ways to smile. Love it. Yeah. And then there's one more. The yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's I so, look at this website looks cool. It's the whole so, so Dan, I have to tell you, we need to do this for Connecticut. We need a Connecticut one or, or like a discover new England. I think mm -hmm. anyway, I'm on a mission by the way, cause I'm teaching capstone next semester. I've already Ooh, talked to the go. convention and visitors bureau and said, we need to, we need to do this for our region. Yeah. So okay. So let me tell you about it. I always have to look up the uh, title of it. Cause I could never remember what I've signed up for, but it is the, uh, <laughs> how terrible is that? It is the care ring of carry. Yep. So this is basically imagine a virtual race. Um, so the Ring of Kerry is an area of Ireland and it's 200K. And the way these virtual races work, it's called the Conqueror uh, okay. events, which is an app that you can get. And they have races all over the world. So the Camino, there's a Cabot Trail for Nova Scotia, Canada. Okay. There's, there's all kinds of races that you can do. And they're obviously different miles or kilometers yep. so i actually in my laugh and work it out group put it up there i said guys i was on my way to class the other day my mom told me she's doing this 20 weeks she's gonna walk 200k in the ring of carry and they were i was like we're doing this <laughs> so we created a team uh so it's kind of fun with the team because you're actually working towards the 200k you're like together yeah um and I have some rock stars in there that are actually in some other races too. So <laughs> they're, we're logging some good miles fast. <laughs> um, and so, but I really wanted to test it out because our students uh, are, are really having to look at how to plan virtual events. So I kind of wanted to try one that interacted with a destination so that we have uh, some things to talk about and look at in class. So I'm kind of, there's killing two birds with one stone. Yep. But the reason I like it is it gives you a personal goal and I really think that sometimes stuff like this can encourage you to get out on days that you might not normally get out. Um, at least that's what it does for me. And um, being in a team and having people sort of, you know, support each other also is a fun part of it. And then the swag is not bad. So that's another reason to do it. You know, I'm not kidding you. I look through all the virtual races and if I like the swag, I sign up for the sign it off. You're in. <laughs> My favorite one is called no problema and it's a llama. Oh God, that's awesome. It's terrible. But yeah. So um, yeah. So these are just different challenges you can do. They're different levels, different uh, miles. And uh, once you sign up, you have a certain amount of time and you don't get your medal until you've logged it and it connects to your devices. So my once I, I have Strava for running and biking and it connects it. If I do a workout on my Apple watch, like a kickboxing, it'll convert it into miles. Wow. So, um, yeah. So it's pretty cool. Cause you can do a lot of them hat. You have to run or you have to bike. I liked this one because for a couple of reasons, I liked it because it converts other activities or allows you to convert those activities. It also um, encourages you to connect with the destination. So yeah. it sends you a postcard. <laughs> when you've met so cool. got to certain places and you virtually can go along the route and see where you've run for that 2200 K. Yeah. And then the last thing is every uh, big milestone, which is ever, I think it's every 20 
miles or 20k that you run uh they plant a tree oh nice positive yeah so that's awesome so i'll be sure to include this information in the show notes for any listeners that might be interested i don't want to put you on the spot trying to remember websites and all this stuff right now (laughs) thank you (laughs) thank you um you touched on this back at the beginning of the question how the your involvement in the 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 kickboxing and then the the taekwondo was you know whether it was an outlet or uh, an opportunity to build some community in a new spot where you didn't necessarily have your your community with you just from a overall health wellness standpoint the importance of finding that hobby that activity um is what yeah, I think so important. And what I would say is it changes throughout life. And um, I remember probably I was the most unhealthy in my 20s thinking about it because I thought I was in good shape, but I hardly did anything. <laughs> I remember my mom always saying to me, you should you should run. It's really good for you. And quite frankly, I was kind of irritated by it. And what I've come to realize is that everyone I truly believe there's something for everyone. Um, And what it takes though is trying new things. So some people really don't want to be in groups of people. I personally, you can imagine thrive in that setting. Yeah, yeah, I'm the crazy person (laughs) jumping around like, yeah, let's do this. I'm the screamer, you know? Um, But the, you know, not everyone is like that. I have another friend who really felt like, you know, he didn't really want to go to gyms. He didn't really want to be around big groups of people, but he ended up um, kayaking and, yep. and that has been incredibly and changed his life. And so I really just encourage people to not say that they're not good at exercise. I really feel like there are health and wellness opportunities for everyone. You just have to kind of figure out what it is that is, is helpful for you and that it's so important. It really is. I um, I call it my therapy. Kickboxing is my therapy. <laughs> Kickboxing and running. Um, because, um, you know, I, I'll be honest. I mean, and a lot of people struggle with getting down and, and whether it's for you anxiety or depression or things like that. I'm not saying it's the only answer, but it certainly can help. Yeah. And um, it's amazing what small things can do. Just even walking away from your computer and going for a walk um, is better than not doing that. Yeah. So, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that um, our, I think two episodes ago, we had a, a young man who uh, Tanner Kern is his name. And he, he was, he was a college football player, had to stop playing because of concussions and some issues with that. He weighed in at like 340 pounds was had a, a, a poor, you know, um, uh, body fat index and, and, and was struggling and was struggling with the yeah. fact that he couldn't play football. And he, uh, he's now in, in uh, an extreme, like ultra runner. He's done Love like a hundred, you know, run from Canada to Connecticut for food share. Oh. But he talked about, he had signed up for, I think the Disney half marathon. And oh gosh, awesome. he didn't really get into like super heavy training for it. And then he decided he was, it was, the race was approaching quickly and his, his parent, his dad, especially was like, dude, you got to get out and start, you know, taking it more seriously. And he went to go run on the track and he, he was like, Oh my God, couldn't, couldn't do a mile. And he just talked about, yeah. like you mentioned that doing something little. And he was like, you know what? So I couldn't do a mile, but what I did was I jogged as far as I could. And then I walked a lap. And yeah. so that idea yes. of just, just getting started, like getting it started is hard. 
it is hard. And once you do it, you do it. Yep. Yeah. So I'm a, I know personally I'm addicted. So when we had, when we went into COVID life, I knew immediately I need to create a community for myself um, that I was going to still encourage myself to do exercise. And then, like I said, the karate studio, that was like, that was so lucky like, for oh, me. The- <laughs> yeah. Like a bell goes off. I'm like, of course I'll help you. Um, but yeah, I mean, all joking aside, I, I think that, you know, we're all starting at different levels. And um, one thing I've always found interesting is I think people kind of look at me and assume, oh, that's, you know, oh, she's a fast runner or she's, that comes easy to her. And what I will tell you is nothing comes easy to me. I have to work my, <laughs> I have to work really hard. Yeah. And, um, but I'm willing to put in the time. And if you're willing to put in the time, it does, it does pay off for sure. Love it. Love it. Great. Another great, great message right there. If it's easy, everybody would do it and no one would be proud of anything. Right. That, that level of challenge and, and having to kind of work through that challenge or those are the things that you can be proud of at the end of each day. So for sure. Hey, ladies and gents, we're here with Dr. Jan Jones from the University of New Haven. Super excited too. I get to see you and your students on Thursday yes. um, to talk about the chaos and trying to overcome that in, in the the small business world. So excited for that. And Jan, thanks again for being on. It's going great so far. We're on the, the home stretch right here, as, as they say. Yeah. Um, give us a, give us a snapshot, I guess, you know, what, why'd you get into the, you started off as a sociology and international stud, studies major, undergrad and master's. Talk to us a little bit about the decision to do that. Uh, for your first two degrees and the the jump to the rec and leisure management and just give us a snapshot of your career path and, and maybe some of the highlights all right so let me start you off with besides babysitting my very first job was i was a travel counselor at a welcome center so in canada we call them travel counselor um, I got that job because my best friend's mom was in charge of hiring and <laughs> she's like, Jan will be perfect for this job. And in no way in a million years did I think I would be getting into the tourism industry. It just happened to be a summer job. And I ended up doing that for a couple of years. Yeah. Studied sociology, uh, actually went to school to study business. I, sw- I switched my major five times in college. Wow. Mm-hmm. In my first two years, I just really struggled. I honestly had a self-confidence problem where I just didn't think I could do college. I didn't believe in myself. And thank goodness I had some amazing teachers. And, you know, you always kind of do have some of those teachers that you look back on. And, and I had amazing teachers in high school that pushed me through and encouraged me. But I can think my sociology teacher was one of my teachers who just saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself, uh, convinced me to go on a study abroad trip. And FYI, I actually had a six month old daughter at the time. And I said to my teacher, I can't do it. I'm, I'm not going to leave my daughter home so I can go off to, by the way, this trip was to Cuba. Cuba. Uh And he said, bring her. And I couldn't, I honestly couldn't believe that oh my goodness. yeah I couldn't believe it and I, I I told my mom not even think like just say it's, you know at his professor I just think that's so awesome that he said that and she's like I'm paying and you're going and wow. I was like no and honestly Dan it changed my life because it gave me a new traveling international gives you a different sense of independence and it allows you to see the world in a different way it it 
it reminds you that, you know, even though in our little worlds can be overwhelming sometimes, that there's so much out there. And um, it changed my world. I came back. I knew I wanted to do a master's. I became fascinated with international tourism and some of the impacts that we have on communities when we're traveling, both good and bad. Yeah. Um, so I sort of still studied the industry. I started to study the industry from a social, very critical analysis perspective in the beginning. Um, and then I thought, what am I going to do with two sociology degrees? <laughs> and uh, I had this teacher, he's like, do your PhD. I said, are you great? I barely came to grad school. Like, what, what are you thinking? Um, and I ended up actually doing my master's work in Cuba to study uh, tourism. Wow. And it was after that, that I had applied to some schools in the US. And it was, it was kind of a, a long story as to why I even did that, but came to the University of Connecticut. And if you look up Acadia University in Nova Scotia, Canada, you'll see that UConn is basically a blown up version of Acadia. Like really, just like the, when you're on the front lawn, it's just like, it's to me, it was just beautiful, first of all. And it wasn't in a city. I yep. knew I wasn't a city person. And my mom said when we were driving on the back roads and stores, she's like, Jan's going to come here. She's just gonna <laughs> love it. It's so funny. Moms I know. Saying, Moms know. I, well, because you have this when you're a Canadian, you're from a little small town in Nova Scotia. You think everything's big city in the United States. You really do. You don't know until you come. Yeah. So yeah, so when I came here and they had a program, they were, I was supposed to study originally the sociology of tourism. Oh wow. I never ended up having that concentration. Um, and I feel very actually fortunate that I worked, I ended up uh, switching advisors to Jay Shivers and he's written over 60 books on leisure, recreation, uh, therapeutic recreation. And he really changed my life. He just, he's like, listen, you got to understand the management side of this. Um, you are going to become a professor. And I even, even when I was doing my PhD, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so then I obviously, you know, met some people in the field and um, I just, I just, I met a guy from Connecticut and those Connecticut guys don't like to leave. So we did leave for a little bit. Um, we went to Maine. He did like Maine. We went to West Virginia and then we ended up back in Connecticut. Nice. And, uh, nice. Yeah. Southern had a great program at the time. They have recreation management and that was what my experience was in teaching. So I went there and then University of New Haven is such a perfect fit for me because I'm organized attention deep, deep, deep to detail and I like like strong management. And I really I found that in the College of Business there. Yep. Um, I also have this creative side that I feel like College of Businesses need that. Yep. I think they need people like me to remind them like of the human side of business um, and the impacts of business and the importance of sustainability. So that's really what I see my role and what I do now. And, and that's kind of where I ended up. Awesome. How, how, how long at, uh, how many years at University of New Haven? Uh, University of New Haven, this will be my fifth year. All right. I, I, we don't have to, we don't have to go any further than that. Just the five year. I, I heard the huff. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny. How many years? <laughs> no. Do you know why I huffed? Because I thought you were going to ask me how many years was I in college? Because my students are. Oh, no, I wouldn't do that to you either. <laughs> or they're like, you were in, in university for that long? And I'm like, I know, I don't know what I was thinking. But uh, yeah, no, actually, 
I, it doesn't even feel like five years and, um, you just know when you go somewhere and it's a good fit. And, uh, like I said, the team I work with, I I've learned so much from the practical side of the industry, yeah. uh, working with these colleagues. And, uh, like I said, I just have a really great department and, but also I report to some really awesome people. It's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Don't go anywhere, Jan. Don't go anywhere. No, you're stuck with me. You're stuck with- I told you I married a Connecticut guy. <laughs> you're not. You're not going anywhere. I got out for 10 years for college and then the early part of my professional career. And it was always like, I'm not going to move back to Connecticut. I'm not going <laughs> to. And then the opportunity to help start up in power. And it was yeah. like, yeah, I guess I got to move back to Connecticut. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, well, man. Can I tell you, I know we have to sum up here, but I just want to say this. I remember the first time that I saw you. You were at a uh, parks and recreation convention yeah. and you guys were doing like some team building stuff out in like, I think we're at, there was an exhibition and you guys were out in the hallway and I remember walking by and I remember thinking, I'm going to be friends with those people. Those are Jan. Those are Jan people. And you stood out to me because let's be honest in Connecticut, you know, there's a different vibe when it comes to like certain settings and yep. you guys were just had this energy and excitement about what you were doing I think I just made excuses to come over and like participate in your events I was supposed to be <laughs> probably you know in some boring meeting and I would just come and hang out with you guys because I just thought what you guys were doing was awesome and I'm really glad that we've been able to connect even as I move different schools and and places and and I'm just super thankful for our friendship. So oh, the, likewise, and I, I do vividly remember that uh, the op, <laughs> the the conference room obstacle course at Mohegan yes! Sun. They yes. were very hesitant. We had a meeting to show them <laughs> what we were going to do, and the, to this day, there are people in the Connecticut Parks and Rec world that'll talk trash about like the night 2014, you know obstacle course uh, tournament and which team won and why this other team won. It's great. It's I, like so to throw, great. I get a little gasoline on the fire too, get some uh, trash talk going on, but, That's uh, awesome. but it, and yeah, no, the, the feelings mutual and you know, anytime you could connect with people who are one passionate about what they do. Um, mm-hmm. But two, I think the the passion doesn't come from because of their own self gain. It, it, it comes yeah. from, you know, what, what their industry or what their, uh, services can do for other people. And it, it's right. been a pleasure, you know, any, you know, sharing any time and space with you over the years and looking forward yeah. to our time on Thursday, yeah. the students videos on they're they're in for a, a uh, some juice, some energy. It's an early <laughs> morning too. I warned them. I warned them. I was like, guys, if you think you're going to come in here with your videos off and not participate, you have coming. I was like, uh, Dan is awesome. And, you know, he's, he's Jan 2.0 and, you know, be prepared. They're so. like, no, <laughs> I know they're like, what is what's happening? But yeah, no. How did I, she find them? <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Home stretch. Quick yeah. hit questions, like yeah. sentence or less. And this okay. is going to be challenging. Oh, no. Okay. And if you break the rules, I usually let people break the rules. But anyway, I'm going to say it now, <laughs> sentence or less. All right. What do you hope your students take away from this experience? When they're when they're in the world and they're working, they're professionals, what do you want them to uh, look back on this time and say, you know what, I, I got better at this or I learned this from this tough situation? Yeah. I want them to uh, realize that this was an opportunity to learn new skills that that doesn't mean, you know, just because it's COVID doesn't mean that they're not gonna use those skills. So really hone in on what is it you can do 
that you can move forward and use still again in the future. Love it. Uh, childhood inspiration and why? Hmm. That's a tough one, Dan. You didn't warn me on this one. No, these are, these are the sneak attack questions. <laughs> um, yeah, so I actually can tell you it was hands down my band teacher. Actually, I, would get, I want to give it uh, double. Band teacher I'll, and I'll choir. <laughs> yeah, band and choir teacher. And, and so what I would say is music teachers uh, saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and encouraged me to try new things. Nice. All right. Well, this is not on my list. This is the only list I formed <laughs> for this uh, our conversation here. Um, That's funny. Out on a run. Yeah. Are you a music listener? Okay. And what's like when you need something to get you like jacked up for that run that you don't want to do, <laughs> what are you putting on? What's the song? What's the first song you're putting on? You are going to laugh at me, but I have more Latin music than any white girl <laughs> ever so pitbull yes here we go, here we go. i have I every it. pitbull and ricky martin song that's ever been created in the universe and jennifer lopez but yes i actually have a latin playlist that we do sometimes for kickboxing nice. i'm sure they think i'm crazy <laughs> what's something internally like so obviously your band and chorus teachers had, had a little bit of a inspiration for you when yeah. you were younger like now what inspires you to keep that high level of energy and, and keep learning and keep on, you know, discovering, you know, maybe new ways to do something. What's, what's that internal motivator now for you, Jan? So I think honestly, I'm in the best job that I could be in because I'm constantly around young people and yeah. uh, they really do keep me energized. I, I really feel lucky that, um, you know, one day I might feel a, like a dinosaur in the classroom, but right now I just, I really love, I love how students see the world different and um, I learn from them all the time. And it reminds me that we need to adapt. You know, we think we know what we're doing and we think we're good at something, but you still need to adapt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say my students are an inspiration, but my family, I really just am so lucky. I have uh, six brothers and sisters or excuse me, five brothers and sisters, a so six total. My God, I just <laughs> added a new child. Um, and then um, I have three amazing kids and they they just keep me inspired on, on a daily basis and awesome. keep me smiling too. There you go, funny. there you go. Yeah. Um, Jan Jones as a leader is dot, dot, dot. So Dan, I have to say, when you sent me, you know, some of our talking points, I, I have to say something, and I think there's probably other people that feel this way, is I, I really never considered myself a leader. I really didn't. I, I think I've considered myself a facilitator. I know I have an amazing energy and kind heart, and I, I, think, I think people see me as a pretty genuine person, but I've never described myself as a leader and so it's which is so funny because that's what this whole podcast is about but um yeah and I and so I honestly felt like that question would be easier for someone else to answer about me than myself so what was the question again <laughs> Jan Jones as a leader you actually kind of answered it in without even knowing you answered it it was some like Jedi mind trick you just played on everybody Jan, Jan, Jan Jones as a leader is dot 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 fill in the blank <laughs> yeah just a facilitator um and someone who just genuinely cares about the wellness of other people I guess love it 
And you know what? That's the mic drop moment right there. hundred percent. And Jan, the, the, we started this podcast up and, and it came from the, the idea when we, we work with, I would say the, the, the type of quote unquote customer that we work with the most, the most volume is typically like middle school age boys and girls. Okay. And um, having, you know, prior to joining Empower in 2009, I was, you know, in education, I was a phys ed health teacher and yep. I worked middle school, high school. And it's sad um, in my 20 ish years of informal research um, to see the amount of students who, you know, have the right answers and have the abilities, but maybe lack that confidence mm-hmm. to say, you know what, I, I can lead in this moment, or I am a leader, or mm-hmm. I, I, I can speak up because I, I have the right answer. And I see it all the time where middle school uh, girls are the, the biggest culprit where, you know, we're doing an activity and, and I can say this because I was once in the shoes of the middle school boys, we're, we're not as smart, athletic, good looking, funny as we think we are. ever right but we tend to commandeer especially in the sixth through eighth grade range we tend to commandeer oh we're going to do this pipeline activity and you know get out of the way and i'm going to put it in the bucket and we're the ones that mess it up and a a quiet girl slowly getting frustrated but not letting it get to Mm -hmm. her and she'll say something under her breath and i'll hear it and i'll say hey young middle school girl that's the right answer yeah why don't you stop the group I'm too quiet. I'm not a leader. They won't listen to me. I'm not a leader. I'm not smart enough. Mm. And I said, you know what? That's crap. You are. Yeah. And that's the moment where I'll say, Hey, stop everybody. This person has some great information. She just shared it with me. And the whole purpose of this podcast is, Hey, they're going to hear for someone's going to hear you on this. And they're going to say, wow, that sounds a lot like me. I could do that. I can do uh, something. And, and that's so. the whole purpose, Jan. And I think you absolutely crushed it, knocked it out of the park. I, I, and I truly appreciate you taking time during a busy time of year. Got it. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, that was Jan Jones, Dr. Jan Jones. She leads with Empower. A ton of great stuff here, Jan. Thank you again. And thank you for everybody for tuning in. The holidays are approaching. Fine time to smile and put a smile on somebody else's face, it'll go a long way. Thank you, we'll check you out next time. Great leadership may look and sound different. However, there are common threads that connect all tremendous leaders. They are passionate about those that they lead. They do that which brings out their best and the best in those around them. And they never take the easy way out because the exceptional will never come from easy.